right, welcome Redeemer Life. Um, I do see some new faces. Welcome, welcome to uh, Redeemer Life. Um, and, and a lot of um, faces that have come back. Returning faces, there's a couple of students here from North Park. So, uh, welcome. Um, I wish I, I could take you all to India with me. I think it'll be so great. Don't you think we should come up with a Redeemer Life trip? Soji, you're the one who's responsible for that. Soji and Gina are my go-to people. So, uh, trip to India. Trip to India next year. How about that? Next year? Next spring break or something like that. Or January. We can't go after March. After that, it becomes too cold in India. And then it rains and rains and, and all that. So you went in what month to India? Oh, December, January. That's the time to go. It's 70 degrees and you can go in short sleeves shirts and it's really nice. So let's, let's plan on that. Early January, Soji, next year. She's <laughs> Where is Joe? Joe's not here? He's there. Where is he? Joe, next year. January 10th. Okay. January 10th it is. Um, so let's plan on that. This will be a great trip. We'll be going into New Delhi where students will be engaging with issues of um, uh, what did Gandhi learn from Jesus? to bring, talk about non-violence. Was it, was it, what does it mean to turn the other cheek? And, uh, and, and our partners, the Evangelical Fellowship of India, um, the Commission on Relief and Development, Bible Bhavan, uh, there is uh, international teams, so a whole range of people that are doing some amazing work in India and um, we will learn quite a lot from them. I think one of the things about uh, short missions trips is not that you go and do stuff there. Because if we go and do stuff there, we'll mess up a lot of stuff. It's what we learn from people who are working and doing amazing stuff in these areas. A very brief word also on the pastoral search committee. I agree with Brenda and with John and others. This is not easy work. And my, uh, my plea is um, that we come up with perhaps a day a week where we fast and pray. Can we do that during the season of Lent? Maybe on a Friday where we, you know, say we are fasting and praying for, uh, for the pastoral search committee uh, and for our church as we go into this next season of inviting uh, uh, a pastor. So crucial, so crucial. So if you would do that, you know, perhaps the e-board or others will come up with a time, I would suggest um, once a week um, to uh, fast and pray together. Um, we also need to continue to pray for our, uh, uh, for our, um, the coronavirus uh, one of the things that we've come to realize is that, you know, this is something that's beyond human control. You know, we are used to, we're used to having things under our control, you know, where we can 
treat diseases and go to hospitals and, and we, we want to uh, say that we have things under our control. But we've come to realize that there are many things that are beyond our control. Uh, and this is one of those things. Uh, no matter how, many, how much um, um, words of uh, uh, you know, reasonableness that is proclaimed by, um, by politicians and all that, there is this sense that, you know, we don't know, we don't know. And uh, South Korea is going through a huge, huge crisis now uh, where uh, the government has, uh, has, uh, um, um, has told that these, this uh, cult, the church that is there in one area of South Korea, should be charged with murder. So, uh, you know, people will do all kinds of things, but we need to come to realize that that this is something we need to be very seriously praying about and to be, to be reasonable about stuff that we say or do and think and trust God, trust God. And that's probably one of the reasons why it's good for us to go through this study in the book of Mark uh, during this season of Lent uh, because it's fascinating to see what, what Jesus did. What are some of the things that he did? And today we will be focusing on Mark chapter 2, but perhaps also be um, seeing how is that related to some of the other, um, some of the other uh, sections that uh, we want to cover in the book of Mark. Um, at some point, I think, uh, on our website, you will see the whole reading for... Uh, for the book of Mark, and I would encourage us to, to reflect on this together. And then we'll reach the grand crescendo when we come to the Passion Week, and the uh, Maundy Thursday, and the Good Friday, and the Easter Sunday service. But let's go through this journey together as we are fasting and praying for, for other things uh, that we, we encounter. So would you arise with me, and let's read. Read together. Uh, Mark chapter 2, in the New International Version, Mark chapter 2, and, and let's engage with some of the issues that, that we encounter here. Together, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, 
take your mat, go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, Lord, as we go into this season of Lent, as we walk through this season of Lent, we pray that we would see the same things in our lives. And even as I get prepared to take students to India, I know that they will see these things, amazing things that you alone can do. We think about the coronavirus, oh Lord, and it's so, um, it's so mind-boggling. It's beyond our, uh, our thought as to what is happening in China, the pain that people are suffering there, the pain that people are suffering in South Korea and, and in, uh, in uh, Italy and in Iran. And, and Lord, we don't know what else is going to happen, but we, we pray that, that you would uh, somehow bring this to an end so that there would be a, a sigh of relief. We pray for healing for those who are suffering from this disease. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring about a miracle. Lord, we pray that you would bring about spiritual miracles here among us. We pray that the same things that you did way back then in the life of this one person, this paralyzed person, would happen here among us. So bless us as we reflect on your word. In the name of the Word, the living Word, the risen Word, Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, do be seated. Do be seated. We, we are going through the book of Mark, and I would encourage you to go through the readings uh, in all these weeks. And the crescendo, of course, will be week seven when we'll be going into Palm Sunday and so on and so forth. Uh, last week we talked about the, the, the 40 days and what did it mean for, for Jesus to go into the wilderness. Why did he go into the wilderness? Why is the number 40 so important? And of course, you know, those are things that, that, that we need to keep in mind because uh, that does become an important number. Some numbers are important in the Bible and the number 40 is an important number. The number 50 is an important number because after 40 days, the people were taken to Mount Sinai and, and they went to this place where, where God descended and there's thunder and lightning and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. So there is, there is a lot that's going on there in, uh, in, in, in the book of Exodus. Today we want to talk about Ten signs of a church uh, that is looking for the, the, the breakthrough of God into society. And that's my hope that that's what we would do. Uh, one of the words that, that we encounter over and over again at the beginning of this section uh, of the Bible is this word in, in Greek. It's called euthos. In, 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 in English, it's translated as immediately immediately. You almost get the sense that when Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness for 40 days. When he came out, he was doing things with an urgency. He knew that he had 
we had three years to accomplish what he was going to accomplish. Uh, that's, of course, going to go on for years and years and years together through his people. But he had those three years, and he did things with urgency. So, so let's look at some of these texts. Mark chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open. Do you see that word, euthus? It almost seems like right off the bat, the gospel is saying things are going to happen immediately. So, pastoral search committee, if you're here, maybe things will happen immediately. I don't know. Maybe there would be a breakthrough here. There'll be unity. And you'll immediately see this person. And you'll say, this person's going to be our pastor. What do you think about that? Immediately. You first. I think it's like right here, you know, in front of us. What do you think about that? Don't you think that'll be amazing? That'll be a miracle. That'll be like, whoa, this is so amazing. So Jesus sees things immediately. Mark chapter 1 and verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. It's almost like Jesus was saying, whoa, I've got to go into the wilderness right now. And he went into the wilderness because Jesus was also a sprinter. Right? Not just a marathon runner. He was a marathon runner as well. I always think about sprinters because I can never sprint. You know, I can run marathons, but sprinters are never marathoners. And marathoners are never sprinters. But Jesus ran immediately. Mark chapter 1 and verse 20. And immediately he called them. Uh, he called these people his disciples. And what did they do? Immediately they left their nets. They said, whoa, I am a computer programmer. Immediately I'm leaving that and going. Going to India, immediately to India. What do you think about that? I mean, that's making decisions, right? A sense of urgency immediately, immediately. Mark chapter 1 and verse 28. Immediately his fame spread elsewhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And people came. Why Galilee? Because that's where the, the hillbillies lived. These were not the who is who. The who is who lived in Jerusalem. There were the political leaders and the religious leaders and, and the thought leaders. But Jesus didn't go there. Where did he go? He went to Vernon Hills. That's Capernaum. He went to places where the who is who didn't live. Mark chapter 1 and verse 29. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Why? Because he knew he had to do a miracle there. Immediately. Euthus. Mark chapter 1 and verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him. Isn't this amazing? This person is, is, is troubled there and, and, and everyone scorns him. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. That's a sense of urgency that you find throughout the book of Mark. The last week of Jesus' ministry that we'll be encountering. So I'm fast forwarding. I'm, I'm not going through a lot of immediately's in the, in the book of Mark. Let's just let's see a, a couple of others here. Mark chapter 11 and verse 2, which is going into the last week, which will be Palm Sunday, right? It says, and he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find this stuff. Do it. Do you see that thing, that sense of urgency? 
immediately. Mark chapter 11 and verse 3. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Things are going to happen immediately. Mark chapter 14 and verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came and he says, I'm going to throw you into the pit right now. Things happened immediately. Mark chapter 14, verse 72. And immediately immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Do you remember that? Where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, don't don't tell me this. This is nonsense. You're telling me they're going to die for me? You know, before the rooster crows the second time, you are going to deny me three times. And it says immediately. Immediately the rooster crowed. And by the way, you will hear the rooster crow when you go to India. It's so beautiful. You know, hey, you don't hear the rooster crow. We don't see nature. We don't hear nature. But you will. It's so powerful when you hear the rooster crow. Mark chapter 15 and verse 1. And immediately as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation. They said, we are going to crucify this person. Jesus knew that from the beginning, that things are going to happen immediately, youthers. And there was a sense of urgency that was there in Jesus' life. So many times I think we don't have that sense of urgency, right? We just mosey along, get up in the morning, do our life, go for our work, come back. Because we think, you know, life will go on, things will happen. We don't have that sense of urgency of going and giving people this Jesus who was in the wilderness for 40 days. Because we're so consumed by our own life and our, our, our little itsy-bitsy mundane stuff. Jesus' life was a youthful life. It was filled with urgency. And yet in that urgency, there was a sense of calmness. It wasn't the kind of urgency that gives you the heart attack. Or the high, high blood pressure, or whatever it is. It's a kind of urgency where you see things happen. You're ready. I often say to my football players, my football players, I have a ton of them in my classes, that, you know, that you are ready for that urgent moment. That's why you practice every day. When that urgent moment happens, you will do it because you have practiced that a million times. You see that urgency. That's what Jesus did. He did things urgently. That's the first mark of a church that is truly prepared for Lent. The second mark of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of the church that's truly prepared for the Lent, you'll find that in, in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, is, is, this, is this thing in which you come to realize that Jesus went into. He, he went into, into places that are desert places. He didn't go into places where people had it all made for them. It was only in the last week that he went into Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus knew where people were hungry for a change. And it's so important for you and I as a church and the search committee as a church and every one of us to to look for those places where people know they are in the desert. 
and they need a change in their life. Jesus knew that if he went to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those people who had it made for them, they wouldn't want to change anyway. So why waste your time going to people that don't want to change anyway? Jesus went to the Vernon Hills of his time, the Liberty Wells of his time. And he went into their homes. And as he goes into their homes, he tries to find out what their needs are. You know, this is one of the things that I came to realize when I was pastoring the, the church in, uh, in Naperville. We used to go after church. Now, now, mind you, that was before I started teaching at North Park, so it was 18 years before this time, and that means I was 18 years younger, and, and we would go, we, I'd take all the young people, and we will go into homes the whole afternoon. We will go into homes, we will get to know people, because people are not going to come to us. You, you have to go to Capernaum's. People are not going to say, oh, this amazing church called Redeemer Life, let's go there. We have to go to people. We have to go into their homes. And believe me, immigrants will welcome you. They'll spread out the platter and give you samosas and uh, sushi and, and whatever they have. And they'll bring, give you tea. And it used to be so beautiful. And as we made these relationships, we'd make them week after week after week after week. Jesus entered into Capernaum week after week after week after week. He didn't give up. He went in there till things happened. Why? Because there was that sense of urgency. And believe me, amazing things happened. We discovered things like there was this young girl to whom there was this couple, this medical doctor couple that had brought in this girl when she was 16 years old from one particular part of the world. And she was living there with them. Bad things were happening to her. We helped her get out of that situation. There was another family where, again, there were things happening. But there were many times when we would encounter people who would ask for prayer. He would say, can, can you pray for us? This is what we are going through, whether it be a financial struggle or whatever it be. But it was going into Capernaum's. We have to go into Capernaum's. We can't do the way in which flashy Western churches do stuff. Now, there are churches that grow because there's mega things that happen and there is all sorts of flashy advertisement and all kinds of things. It seems to me that's not the way in which you can get into Capernaum's. We have to go to Capernaum's. We have to go into people's homes. Maybe your workers' homes, your co-workers' homes, whatever it be. That's where things happen. Look at the next section here. It says... When people heard that he had, he, he, he was at home. Literally, in, in, the, in the Greek language there, it says, he was at home. There's a very important principle there, I think, of a church that wants to make a difference. And of people, Jesus' followers who want to make a difference. It seems to me when Jesus, when people saw Jesus, they felt just like, he's us. He's just like us. I can share my deepest things with him. I can share my deepest pains with him. 
and he will understand it. You've heard the phrase, right? There can be no communication without identification. If people don't feel comfortable with us, they're not going to share their deepest needs with us. People have to feel at home with us. No matter who it is. There were the poorest of poor people who felt at home with Jesus. And he felt at home with them. The middle class people felt at home with Jesus. And he felt at home with them. And, 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 And the whole range of people felt at home with Jesus. That is a very important principle in reaching out to people. We cannot come with answers like, look, I've got all these answers. I've been a Christian for blah, 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 however however many years, and you listen to me. That is wrong. Methods of evangelism of that sort is is wrong. That's not the Jesus model. The Jesus model is to, to be at home, is to be at home. And then people are listening, willing to listen to words like, I am the bread of life. When you're there with them, when you're at home with them, I'm the bread of life, I'm the water of life, and so on and so forth. I I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd. And you find all those I am's, but it begins with enabling people to know that you're there with them. Jesus also said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, everything that you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then he went on to say, who's your neighbor? He says, your neighbor is your enemy. One of the biggest banes, I think, in Chicago is this thing called neighborhoods. Have you heard about them? Where people live with each other because they look like each other. And they talk the same language. And you go outside the neighborhood and there's gang warfare that goes on because you don't look like us. You don't speak like us. You're not from Puerto Rico. You're not from Mexico. You're not from this place. You're not from that place. And the Italian gangs and and so on and so forth. That is wrong. Jesus says, no, we need to be together. Your neighbor is the Samaritan. Do you remember that story of Jesus talking about how this, this Jewish person was going down and, and the other Jewish people who thought they were more Jewish than this Jewish person didn't want to touch him because he had the coronavirus? Who touched him? It was the enemy. Whom he regarded as the enemy. The Samaritan. And many times it's not the enemy. My, my you know, mind goes to, to my daughter, um, was 16 years old at that point, and I had just taken her through that 50 hours of driving. You have to go with your kids. You've done that, right? 50 hours of driving, and then you take them, you know, hoping they wouldn't get the license, and you go to the license place, and, and she sure enough gets the license, and, and then she says, now, Dad, I want to drive my car. I said, whoa, this is happening too soon. So next week was her exam. And she wanted to drive the car. So I said, I thought I was so brilliant. I gave her this high-rise thing that I was driving, uh, one of those uh, SUVs. Uh, I don't think it exists anymore. It was a Toyota 4Runner or something like that. I'm forgetting what the name was. 
and she, she drove it, went to the exam, was really taken up with the exam. It was winter, it was December, and she's coming, and, and there is this part of the road that is not cleared, another part of the world, road that's cleared, and, and her tires took traction, and she went 360 degrees like this, and then we, she went another 360 degrees like that. The car was shattered, and she was, she calls my wife from the hospital and says, Mom, I'm in the hospital. Wow, what happened? Uh, don't worry, I'm fine, I'm fine. Just come to the hospital. And of course, my wife went. I was teaching a class. After my classes, I went there. I went and saw the car. The car was shattered. She was fine. And the police officer said, if your daughter wasn't wearing the seat belt, she would have been gone. Then I asked her, what happened? We live in this pristine neighborhood called Deerfield. Have you heard about Deerfield? Where there's no one that looks like me? Right? And the glass was shattered. There was a guy who came there because he had a contract with one of the houses to take care of their pristine garden place. He went and helped her out. Probably a Mexican immigrant. I don't know. Didn't speak English. Called the ambulance. And she went there. And then I was walking the streets and three of my neighbors said to me, I thought your car was there. I thought there was someone in the car. I thought it would look like your car. And I said to myself, did you help my daughter? Who helped my daughter? It was the Samaritan. Who is your neighbor? Our neighbor is someone who does not look like us. And that's what Libertyville needs. That's what Vernon Hills needs. We need to reach out to people like that. I don't know who this person is to this day, but I thank God for this person, whoever it was. I thank God. And so, the next thing that you find here is that it's a church that when things like that happen, it becomes a talk of town. People come from all over. They heard about Jesus reaching out to the neighbors. And, 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 and so they, they come. And it's not about flashy advertisements. It's not about all of that. But people hear. When people hear, they say, I want to find out because things are happening. Amazing things are happening. I want to go there. It's all about hearing, isn't it? It's all about hearing. That people will hear and they will come because hearing does something. And when that happens, the fifth mark of a church that's a Lent-oriented church is a church that's bursting at the seams. Isn't it great? I mean, there's no room. There's people all over in the nooks and the crannies and there's no sitting room. It's like going, when I took to, uh, the, 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 the delegation of people that I took to, to India with me, we, we went to Mumbai and we went up onto this uh, platform. You don't see the ground. It's people, 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 and their saris and in their various 
garments, and you don't see the ground at all. That's the way it was in this house. There are people from all over, and my prayer is that before you get your new pastor, that's what would happen at Redeemer Life. What do you think? They'll be bursting at the seams. There'll be people all over. That should be our prayer. Let's look at the next mark here. There are people. What kind of people are they? I love this. This picture where where these people who, who bring this person who is a paralytic, they go on top of the roof and they break open the roof of, of the house. What do you think about that? You know? It's, they go up onto the roof. Whose house is this? We don't know whose house is this. Think about it. Someone comes to your house, and Jesus is there and breaks open the roof of your house. What would you do, Joe? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll charge the person a million dollars or something like that. What? You broke through my roof? But that's the way in which church happens. It happens not because we come up with our own itsy-bitsy legal systems. It happens because we are so persistent, so persistent, so persistent that we do things like that. It happens with people who have faith and trust that Jesus, the same Jesus that broke through those 2,000 years ago, can break through even today. And my students who are going with me to India will see that. Because those are people that trust that Jesus will break through. Who are the people who oppose Jesus? I'm sad to say this, but it's the theologians. You know, we, 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 we talk about Pharisees and Sadducees and all that. We think, oh, those scoundrels, those bad people. No, there were people who wanted to believe in their own theology. There are people who stuck with their own theology. They could never see that Jesus could do these kinds of things. They could never see that, that God could break through into history. And believe me, there have been universities who wanted to teach me to teach there. But it comes to this one thing. Does Jesus, does, do miracles happen today? They'll ask me and I'll say, yes. I go to India. And they'll say, no, that's not our theology. That's not our theology. We don't believe that Jesus would do those kinds of things today. Jesus could do those kinds of things 2,000 years ago because those were, that was a dispensation of 2,000 years ago. Jesus doesn't do those kinds of things today. And I'd say, I'm sorry. I cannot teach here because I go to India and I go to Africa and I go to different parts of the world and I see Jesus breaking through into history. And my prayer is that that's what we as a church would continue to do. Jesus breaks through into history and miracles happen and there is persistent people who would go and if, the, if there is a need for the, for the roof to be broken through, let's break through the roof so that things would happen and Jesus would do miracles all over the world and here in Vernon Hills and in Libertyville. Do you trust God for that? in these 40 days. Let's pray.
Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you because human sins are at the root of everything, social, political, medical, all kinds of ailments. Would you hear Jesus' voice saying to you, my daughter, my son, your sins are forgiven you. And then would you trust, would you trust the same Jesus to do stuff and say, arise, take up your mat and walk and miracles would happen. Oh, let it be, oh Lord, here among us during these days of Lent, we pray.